The first reading is from the book of Genesis, the first chapter. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Word of God, word of life. Our preaching text this morning comes to us from the book of Titus. Tiny little book, tucked away in the New Testament toward the end of the Bible. Chapter 3. It's uh, printed on the back of your bulletins. If you'd like to take a crack at finding it in your pew Bibles, 969 is the page number. It'll get you pretty near to the end of the Bible there. These are words that are also found, many of these words are found in our small catechisms uh, when Luther writes about baptism. But we'll start with verse 1 of chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing here. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. I desire that you insist on these things so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. These kinds of preaching series are a little bit outside of my comfort zone, but let's go for it. 
Uh, and as we dive in, I want to begin this series on church ingredients, this series where we will explore the recipe of how you make this thing we call church by talking about something else. And that something else is sandwiches. I want to talk about sandwiches. So we're talking about recipes and ingredients today. I thought I'd start with something simple. What is the recipe for a sandwich? What are the, the essential ingredients in a sandwich? What qualifies a sandwich as a sandwich? Now, some things are obvious. A grilled cheese sandwich? That's definitely a sandwich, right? I think we could agree on that. Uh, how about a BLT? I think that meets the definition of a sandwich, even if we haven't agreed on what a sandwich is. But here's a fun question. How about a hot dog? Is a hot dog a sandwich? You know, it might surprise you, but uh, some folks have thought about this. The state of California has actual laws that talk about this. The, their food service laws uh, tax and regulate hot dogs the same as other sandwich joints. So, according to the California state law, I mean, whatever merit that carries with you, uh, a hot dog is a sandwich. Okay, so we got that covered. But how about a burrito? Is a burrito a sandwich? Uh, Massachusetts had a court case about this. Can you believe that? There was a court case about whether a burrito was a sandwich. But in 2006, and it had to do with the restaurant change Cadobo. Am I saying that right? Uh, how many of you have been to that Cadobo restaurant? All right, like three of you. Okay, this is going to be incredibly relevant then. <laughs> um, but there was a lawsuit about uh, when Cadoba, I guess it's Cadoba, they threatened to encroach on the territory of uh, Panera Bread uh, restaurant in, uh, in Massachusetts. And so when uh, Cadoba was going to move in to the strip mall, uh, Panera Bread sued them. They sued the strip mall because they said the Mexican chain's arrival would violate their lease agreement with the White City Shopping Center, the clause that specifically said the strip mall would not rent to any other sandwich restaurants. And they said Cadoba's a sandwich restaurant. So it went before a judge and the judge ruled, hey, Cadoba can move in because the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a sandwich as two thin pieces of bread, usually buttered with a thin layer of meat or cheese or savory mixture spread between them. And under this definition, and with some common sense, I feel like common sense left this conversation a long time ago, <laughs> but the, <laughs> the court found that the term sandwich is not commonly understood to include burritos, tacos, and quesadillas. So, if you get nothing else out of the sermon today, hot dog sandwich, yes. Burrito sandwich, no. Okay? But I, maybe we'll keep talking and see if something more relevant comes up. Um, so how are we going to move from sandwiches to the recipe for church? Well, how about this? Indulge me in just a little bit more sandwich talk. I promise we'll get into the recipe for church in just a second. So I want you to complete this sentence in your mind, okay? It's just not a sandwich without, okay? So fill in the blank. You're already thinking. Some of you are thinking mayo or pickles or corned beef or lettuce or mustard. I bet at least one of you said spam. Okay? If Ron Noon was here, he definitely would have said spam, yeah. Uh, right? Uh, we probably could go around the room. We'd come up with at least 20 ingredients that are essential to make a sandwich a sandwich. Even though, I guess what we really know is all you need is a couple pieces of bread and something savory in the middle like meat or cheese. 
And that's a sandwich, right? What about more complicated recipes like, like cookies? What's got to be in a cookie to make it a cookie? Or what's got to be in macaroni hot dish? Or lasagna or beef stroganoff, right? Those are, that could be a really complex discussion. All right, we'll leave the food behind. I want to talk about the recipe for church. And the way to do that is maybe to mentally complete that same sentence. The church just isn't the church without... So mentally, fill in that blank. What is it? What's on your list? Is it the music? Is it the pastor? Uh, certain liturgy or, or prayer? Are you thinking about buildings or, or pews or certain people? Right? Well, what? That's a really good question. What do you really need for the church to be the church? What are the essential ingredients in making church, church? That's, if you believe it, you're thinking, wow, this is going to be great. We're going to spend four weeks on this question. But Pastor Megan and I, as I said, we spent a little time this spring, uh, and we thought, let's, let's do this. We came up with a list of four essential ingredients to make the church the church. So what's the first ingredient? Well, before we get into that, I think it might be helpful to kind of dissect that word church itself, which, by the way, if you say like 20 times in a row, it starts to sound like a really weird word, but... Uh, the English word church comes to us uh, via the German word Kirche. And the Germans got it right from Greek. Right from Greek. The word Kyriakon, which means of the Lord, right? Like the Lord's house. We've used phrases like that, right? And that hard K sound should be familiar as well, right? We just, before, at the very beginning of church, after confession and forgiveness, we did the Kyrie, right? We sing the Kyrie. That's a, it's a version of the word Lord. It's a crying out to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Kyrie, Kyriakon, Kirka. And then we just soften that K to a Ch, and we have the word church. English word church comes to us that way. But here's what's fascinating, at least to me. When you read the word church in your Bibles, and you'll find it a lot, it's in your Bibles a lot, you're not seeing the translation of a word that has anything to do with Kyrie or Kyriakon or Kyrios or anything like that. You're actually, when you're reading the word church in your Bibles, you're almost certainly reading the translation of a different Greek word, and that word is ekklesia. Ekklesia, which is another fascinating word because the word ekklesia comes from Greek politics. Greek politics. The ecclesia was the principal assembly of democracy in the city of Athens. All male citizens, and there was quite a threshold to be a citizen, you had to be a male first of all, but there were other criteria too, but they were voting members of this assembly called the ecclesia, where they made decisions together about war, elected leaders from among themselves, of course they did, and they had final say on legislation. Which is to say, the first ingredient in making church church, of course, then is politics. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to make sure you were still listening to me. <laughs> but essential to the church being a church is the gathering. The gathering. Time after time in the New Testament, the followers of Christ are named for an ancient gathering called the ecclesia. Right? When, when Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, 
he uses that word ecclesia, that word about gathering. When, when St. Luke writes in the book of Acts about the early church, he's talking about the ecclesia again and again, the gathering together. Um, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth or the church in Thessalonica or the church in Rome, he uses that word that the Athenians did for their gathering, ecclesia. So what makes the church the church? It's the gathering. It just isn't the church without the gathering. And this series will unpack four components of that gathering. And the very first thing you need to gather is a reason to gather. The ecclesia in Athens gathered to make decisions about governance, and the church, this Christian ecclesia, gathers because of God's transformative word. And from the very beginning of Scripture, God's word is yoked with water. We notice that in Genesis 1, right? That water is such an important ingredient in creation. So there, I finally said it, the first ingredient in making the church is water. Water is an essential component in all life, and so it's our first ingredient in making the church. But not just any water. Water infused with God and God's presence. Water which ultimately bears the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. So I want to pop back to that Genesis reading and think about right that watery chaos that God's presence moves across and gives, and gives order to. Right? Life springs forth from, from this water when God's word gets involved. It's a beautiful poetic image to understand how creation works. In the flood, God's word transforms the, the chaos of, of floodwaters and turns it into something for rebirth and recreation and, and is also becoming salvation for Noah and his family. In the Jordan River, God's word fuses with the water to name Jesus as his son. And of course, we can't help but think about the waters of baptism, where God's son Jesus transforms, renews, and gives new birth. Now, there's a lot of readings that we could have chosen to talk about the rebirth of baptism and the centrality of baptism. But I love this reading from Titus 3 because it's also a reading we find in our small catechisms. Luther love to take Titus 3 and put it alongside this, this explanation about what happens in baptism. So after speaking about obedience to human authority, Paul talks about being gentle and courteous, and, and he talks about this transformation and salvation that comes from Christ. He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. So the first essential ingredient in creating the church is this understanding that the church gathers around God's watery word, God's transforming word, God's wet word of rebirth, which not only washes and regenerates us, but gives us Christ himself, turns us into God's children, children who will receive the gift 
of eternal life. And this is so important, right? I think if we, if we look around and we think about this thing we call church, the church is very different than it was 50 years ago. And 50 years ago, the church was different than it was 50, 100, 1,000 years before that. Things are always changing, right? And that can fill us with anxiety as beloved components of church life evolve and change. When I began that sentence earlier in the sermon, right, about it just isn't church without, you probably had some beloved traditions and features of church life on that list. I know I did. And if we lost some of those key things, like, like music or the liturgy or stained glass or lutefisk, uh, we'd be sad. And yet we know that church is always changing. This fall, we're going to see some changes to the way we gather around Christian education, continuing to evolve what, what we used to call Sunday school. Right? This year, we're making our successful Wednesday night, Wednesday night programming even more robust. So we're going to gather on Wednesday nights. Um, anyone, ages 0 to 137, I think we put a cap on it. If you're older than 137, we might not have some for you. But, but a, a Wednesday night meal every week, a small worship service together at 6 o'clock. Before then, we send our youngest families home, blessed and encouraged, fed, right? Um, and some of our uh, adults as well. And then we send our, you know, our, our kind of middle-aged kids off to their classrooms for an hour of learning as well. It's, it's going to be a new and holy experiment, another year of experimenting with new models and ideas, and it's going to look different than stuff that we've done before. And yet, here's the, here's the important and powerful thing. The church at its core will be exactly the same as it was 2,000 years ago. When Jesus, as promised, began his church through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first ingredient today is exactly the same as it was 2,000 years ago. Water infused with God's word in baptism. Right? That's the very first ingredient. Now, it's not the only ingredient. We need more for this Christian gathering than just a reason to gather. And we'll talk about a few more ingredients in that gathering as the weeks go by. But for now, I think that's enough to uh, whet our appetite. I had to get one pun in there. The church is not born as a building or a tradition or a style of music. It is born in baptism with God's transformative word, a word that names us, claims us as his people in those beautiful waters of baptism. It is a word that sets us apart and blesses us to love and serve. It is a word that gives us Christ himself and infuses that very Christ into the hearts of believers. May God forever bless his church, gather around his rich and wet promises of new and everlasting life. In the name of Jesus, amen.